You're listening to Pride Month on the Voice of Dog. Today's story is the second and final part of There's a Place in the Great Pack for You by Rob McWolf, who thinks he's found his. You can find more of his work in anthologies from the Furry Historical Fiction Society. You can find previous stories on this theme right here on The Voice of Dog. In writing this, we are told the author's intention was to expand the werewolf metaphor, which previously he had used to represent specifically cis, gay, polyam men, to include as many facets of LGBTQ plus identity as he was able. At this he has doubtless not fully succeeded, and for this he can only ask you, listener, to interpret the story and its intentions in as generous a light as possible. Special thanks to those who provide advice and consultation in the writing of this story. B.P. Rugger, George Squares, J.S. Hawthorne, Mira Punk, Sahoni, Star Ringer, Tanya Song, and Khaki, of course. Last time, Paul journeyed to the Great Pack, the first nationwide gathering of werewolves, to find a pack where he belonged. Unsure about joining the one he came here with, who are all romantically involved with one another, he's been advised to ask other werewolves for their perspectives. But before he can, agents of the Bureau of Extrahuman Population Management tear-gassed his group, and Paul lost consciousness. Read by the author, please enjoy There's a Place in the Great Pack for You by Rob McWall Part 2 of 2 It was just a gas canister. Miles tried to wave away the medic, the only one here not shifted because she'd said claws weren't as dexterous as fingers, which Paul didn't believe. I'm barely even bruised. The pup got a face full of whatever it was. Take care of him. Miles begrudgingly let her check for broken bones after Paul pointed out he'd already been taken care of. They were sitting in a tent. Somebody had spray-painted Vet Clinic over the red cross on the army surplus canvas. Inside, there was a general disorder of medical supplies cobbled together from donations and consignments. They'd all gotten shots of antihistamine, just in case there'd been aconite in the gas. And the medic had rinsed his eyes with warm water and made him promise not to go anywhere till his sense of smell started to come back. Four or five other wolves in staff t-shirts and ID-tagged callers had conferred, gravely, though more than a little awestruck, with Miles and Alvaro, which turned out to be what the A in Guillermo's A stood for. As far as Paul could overhear, there had been only the two agents, and they'd cut and run under cover of tear gas. Someone, unsure who, had been told to call a lawyer, and Miles was supposed to talk to them when they called back. The words, sue the holes right out of their asses, had been thrown around with perhaps undue optimism. But now they'd left him alone with Miles, the medic, and Alvaro. Okay, I have to ask. Might as well make a start on all the talking to different wolves he was supposed to do. What are the callers about? Oh, hell, grumbled Miles. Aren't you the Porcupine Mountains pack? The medic fingered her dog tags. Do you not know the gospel howler? You're the ones who saved him. Don't look at me, Miles replied to Paul's baffled glance. Nobody's gonna like it if I start saying what I think of any of this. I'm 
only recently with this pack, Paul said, which wasn't untrue. And they haven't wanted to talk about whatever this is. Well, it's not entirely about this guy, but, said Alvaro, a few years ago, there was a wolf who, well, started spreading the word. He said God had told him to call people to the great pack, and that one day when all humans in the world had turned and were all together in the great pack, there'd be peace. And your alpha saved him from the bureau, the medic insisted. I'm not an alpha, Miles objected. And, well, a lot of us liked that idea, Alvaro forged ahead doggedly. I don't think I believe God had anything to do with it, but I've never seen wolves treat each other as badly as humans treat each other. It's an idea that deserves a try. We talked about trying. One idea led to another, and the next thing you know, we were organizing this thing. All the staff wolves, the medic nodded sincerely. But what does that have to do with the collars? Well, it's practical, you know. Alvaro tugged at his. It's a way to have your ID and name tag with you, no matter if you've got pockets or clothes, no matter how far you need to shift. And it's a way for everyone to tell you're someone they can go to if they need to find a lost pup or ask where the porta potties are or something. But also it means we want wolves and humans to come together, right? To cooperate, live in peace with each other. There was a hard depth in his eyes like he was watching the east horizon grow light even though sunrise was an hour away yet. Well, human plus wolf adds up to dog. Listen, said Miles, after the medic was finally convinced they were all right and had let them go with a disappointed look for the big wolf. I should get back and let Dan know we're all right before he worries his paw off. You still want to do this plan of yours? Paul set his jaw. Yes, sir. Then would you, he turned to Elvaro, who jumped, let Paul tag along with you till he runs into some other packs? He's supposed to be getting an idea of what's out there before he decides where he's going to disperse. And with a final, be safe, pup, Miles set him free to explore. I thought it was a curse at first. Elvaro stopped short when Paul asked him, stared up into the sky. Paul had followed the staff wolf towards the opposite cluster of campgrounds from his own. Alvaro was honestly surprised he wasn't entirely Miles' packmate. If a wolf had a chance to join a pack with a reputation like Miles's, he'd asked, why not jump at it? Paul hadn't known that the pack had a reputation. He just thought they were his uncles. To change the subject, he'd asked Alvaro how he'd turned. I was bitten, he said and didn't elaborate. My first shifts were very rough, very painful. I dreaded the full moon, panicked every second I spent at the wolf, which, in hindsight, may be what was happening to whoever bit me. I never got a chance to ask. Oh, if you don't want to talk about it, mister, Paul began. No, it's fine. It ought to be known. Alvaro paused to ask a wolf child where her parents were. Got told they were at the booth which she didn't know where that was, nor did she see why that was a problem. But luckily, it was easy enough to find by smell and not far, so they were able to reunite her with her mother. My family tried to cure me. We all thought it was a curse, you see. That was the only way anyone ever talked about it. 
I called in the B of EPM. The caseworker spent days trying to explain there was no such thing as a cure. When they wouldn't listen, they turned to other methods. Folk remedies. Crackpot therapy. Did the whole thing with the cage in the basement. I am lucky homeopathy doesn't work, because they tried that with Wolfsbane. They even tried exorcism. It's all right, Alvaro continued before Paul could ask. I'm good now. Caseworker got me out of there when I mentioned some of the cures they were trying, like I thought they were normal. Rare good guy moment for the Bureau, I know. Now, I have a mate. On trash duty today. The work we're doing with the Great Pack, it's important. Plenty of other wolves, but you, for one, it sounds like, got here without going through that kind of hurt. And I hope what I do makes that more likely. Makes fewer people think it's a curse. You don't ever wonder, Paul scuffed at the gravel with his paw, if it could have been different. I wonder, sure. In a perfect world, maybe whoever bit me wouldn't have been bitten themselves. Alvaro waved to another wolf in a staff t-shirt and collar. But what's the point in asking those questions? I'm the wolf I am because of what I went through. The wolves are the humans I'd be if it'd done different. They don't exist. Even if I asked those questions. What makes us turn into wolves? Why does sex or a bite do it, but a blood transfusion doesn't? Why the full moon? I wouldn't trust answers from a human. Or hell, from a wolf, because who knows how much of that answer they learned from humans. That's why the great pack matters. The day we're all wolves together will be the day it's finally safe to ask, I guess. Paul felt the rising impulse to ask how he could help next year, but no. More to see first. I guess the questions don't matter. They'd crossed the whole main grounds and stood among campsites and stunted trees. My mate? They like me just fine like this. And that's what matters. Anyway, kid, good luck with what you're looking for, and if you ever want to hear some more about the Great Pack? Paul promised he'd get in touch, should that day ever come. It was one thing for Dan to tell him to talk to other wolves, but doing it was a different proposition. All of them, parents with pups, grizzled old loners, exuberant adolescents chasing each other through the crowd, the seven-foot beast wearing nothing at all and carrying what looked like an entire truckload of firewood under one arm, were so intent on their own business that none of them noticed Paul trying to speak before they were out of sight. Are you lost, pup? said a voice behind him. Uh, no, sorry, ma'am. When he turned, Paul found himself facing an older woman in a brown leather jacket beat-up jeans, and bare feet. Expression like the halfway point between a librarian and a gunslinger. I'm supposed to be asking different people what being a werewolf means to them. And hearing himself say it like that made it sound like a project for the school paper. Well, I don't know, kid. She raised her eyebrows. I'm not a werewolf. A split second after Paul tilted his head in bafflement, he realized that was exactly the reaction she'd expected. Here. Just to underline the point, she shifted to sandy gray fur and handed him a reusable cloth bag full of souvenirs. How about you carry this stuff back to camp for me and I'll explain. Camp proved to be a dry creek bed up in the foothills, 
with another older wolf, Dunpelt, sunning herself on a smooth face of granite, from which she propped herself up on an elbow to ask, Well, what's going on here? He's doing some kind of project for the school paper or something. The wolf he'd come here with plucked the bag from Paul's paws. I told him he could ask questions, and we'd tell him what's what. The sandy wolf looked at Paul like she was expecting to be told this was a prank. Um, mostly I'm confused about what it meant when you said you weren't a werewolf. He tried not to sound sulky, at least. Do you know where the word werewolf comes from, son? The dunwolf sighed as the sandy one helped her to her feet. It's from Old English, she continued when Paul shook his head. Back then, the word for man was wer, and the word for woman was we. They used the word man to just mean a person, but that started to become gendered as the language turned into Middle English. Yeah, to skip the dissertation, the sandy wolf said, the word werewolf comes from that, literally means man-wolf. Yes, so we're whiff-wolves, finished the dun one with a hint of a growl. Oh, is that? Paul racked his brains. I can't remember Mom ever saying that, but is that what I should call, uh, ladies? Now that I'm trying to disperse? Ideally, the sandy wolf set the bag in the back of a sensible-looking station wagon, where all the necessities had been neatly laid out. Well, no... The Dunwolf rolled her eyes, leaned toward Paul in a way that made her look like a schoolteacher. If you go around calling people something they don't themselves identify as, even with the best intentions, even if in a perfect world they would, then at best that's going to be real awkward. It's not your business, hun, if other female wolves aren't using the term that some of us the face she turned toward the smugly smiling Sandy Wolf was equal parts affection and aggravation, think they ought to. It's for each of us to decide what others should call us. But it won't be the end of the world, the Sandy Wolf had taken the sunning spot on the warm granite, but left space for her companion to join her. If Wolf Wolf's the word you put down in your school report. And it was easier at this point not to correct the misunderstanding, so Paul thanked them for the answers and moved on. Been three days since you last had a chance, babe, and if any place is safe, it's gotta be here. A large wolf shifted, jeans and an old-fashioned jacket, was leaning over the side of a convertible, apparently trying to persuade a smaller wolf, unshifted, under a baggy flannel shirt. The smaller one sighed, the way you do when you've had this argument before and didn't win that time either. He hunched down, unbuttoned his shirt, and pulled at something underneath. Then he was shifting, hunched down even further. When he came up, he was just as large as a companion, if not a little larger. He handed over something that Paul thought to be an undershirt. The first wolf slapped it atop a pile of clothes in a basket, grabbed a tiny bottle of laundry detergent out of an open backpack. He gave the wolf in flannel, hastily buttoned again, though now significantly less baggy, a swift lick on the side of the muzzle, and headed for the stream. Paul jumped when the flannel wolf made eye contact, snapped at him. What's the matter with you, kid? Never seen a guy take off his binder before? I, uh, his, what? Paul floundered. Uh, no, sir, I don't believe I have. What's a binder? He tilted his head and took a wild guess from context. Is that, like, 
a thing that makes it easier to not shift? Have you seriously, grumbled the wolf, never met a trans person before, even just a human? I'll be honest, mister. Paul raised his shoulders and lowered his ears. Before this trip, it was pretty rare I met anybody but mom or dad. The flannel-clad wolf looked a lot less angry and a lot more like he just realized there was a mess that needed to be cleaned up and nobody else to do it. Okay. He breathed in through his nose, out through his mouth. Please tell me you've heard of a trans person before. Is that where, Paul ventured cautiously, you're born a girl but grew up to be a man? You know what? Close enough to start with. The wolf leaned back against the side of the car in a pose very similar to that his boyfriend had used. Okay, first, you're not born one thing and grow up another. You always were what you are. It was just a lot harder to see. So it's when you're born looking like a girl, but we're secretly a boy? Second, he growled over Paul's apparently incomplete understanding, it's not as tidy as that. People don't fit neatly into the binary of masculine and feminine. Do you mean you don't turn all the way male when you shift? The expression with which that question was met led Paul to suspect it hadn't fit neatly into the binary of polite and not polite. I mean, he sighed, it's not about turning all the way. It's about finding ways to make your body, the way you feel like you exist, and the way people see you, match the real you. That's what the binder is for, to flatten the chest out, get it? I think I see, Paul said, still cautious. So, do you not need it as the wolf? because I always felt like I wasn't my real self when I had to be human. Well, I need it less. But it's mostly I just get so much damn bigger as a wolf, it doesn't fit anymore. He rolled his eyes. Look, kid, I'm not mad at you, really. I have to deal with these questions a lot. But, like, I jumped to a lot of conclusions like that, too, back in the day. When you're just human, to fully transition can cost a lot of money. A lot of time, medicines and surgeries and everything. A lot of us can't afford it. When I found out lycanthropy was an option, I jumped the gun. Assumed it'd be a one-hit knockout for dysphoria, and I'd shift into something that looked like furry pu uh, furry beefcake pinup. I know what porn is, Paul mumbled with some indignation. The reality is it isn't perfect. I've met wolves who make it look perfect, he was no longer looking at Paul, who get to look exactly how they always wanted to look when they shift. And I've gotten there once or twice, I think. But then, I'd bet those who look perfect to me don't feel perfect all the time, either, and I bet it takes just as much work. He brought his attention back to Paul. I don't mean to make it sound so hard. Some days are great. Some days I feel like it's better than others. Some days I don't, and I think it's just that wolves have got a lot less sexual dimorphism. Paul tilted his head again. Uh, male wolves' bodies and female wolves' bodies are a lot less physically different than male humans and female humans is what that means. He shrugged. 
Now, I don't know if I'd buy that the wolf is my real self and the human's a mask like you hear some wolves talk about. Shifting does make presenting right easier and more comfortable, and that's not nothing, but, he jabbed a pod, Paul, you can't stay shifted all the time. Oh, yeah, Paul nodded eagerly, glad to finally have hit a point he could relate to. So, for when I can't shift, the wolf spread his arms like a conductor ending the symphony, I got a binder. Paul frowned in thought. For what it's worth, sir, it didn't occur to me there was any difference till you explained about, uh, everything. I grew up around werewolves and not humans, so first difference I noted between mom and dad was, like, smell? And you smell pretty much the same as any other male wolf. The other wolf blinked at him. Uh, hope that helps. Nice meeting you. Thank you for explaining. Paul hurried away before he could die of embarrassment. That's a heavy question, kid. The shaggy old wolf had leaned back in his lawn chair and taken a bite of bratwurst, which apparently helped him think. But I guess most of us have probably thought about it a while. You tend to ruminate over a thing if that thing means you ain't exactly human anymore, you know? So if I hadn't been born a wolf? Paul struggled to ignore the smell of the other bratwurst waiting on skewers over the campfire. I wouldn't need to ask? Huh. A further contemplative chomp of sausage and bun was reinforced by a gulp of beer. I don't know, kid. The old wolf was wearing overalls, with the straps undone and a button-up shirt, sun-bleached from blue to gray, tied by its sleeves around his waist like a breechcloth. He had a new-looking cap that said Teamster's Extra Human Chapter, pulled low over his eyes. He had a collar and dog tags, the same kind Alvaro had, that said C. Whitman, not worn, but hanging from his belt. I guess the start is when, Whitman explained. I was driving a route through New Mexico. Bitch of a schedule. Only got budgeted three hours a night to eat and sleep, and they expected you to speed to make up for any bathroom breaks. So when I picked up a hitchhiker and he started talking nonsense, I got to thinking I was the one who'd gone crazy, not him. And thing is, kid, when a man thinks he's crazy, he's suddenly a lot more willing to do crazy things. Which is how... The gospel howler talked me into finding a werewolf and asking him to bite me. The gospel howler is, Paul narrowed his eyes, some kind of werewolf preacher? I heard a couple wolves mention him. A lot of the rest of the staff are pretty big fans of his. Uncle Miles, well, no, not really uncle, that's just what I used to call him as a kid. But, but his pack met him, Paul frowned. He didn't want to talk about it. I don't think he was impressed. A lot of wolves ain't, Whitman said. To tell the truth, he weren't impressive. Scruffy, spacey, more than a little out there. But none of that's the same as wrong. He turned the sausages over the grain coals, judged them done enough, and slid them each into a bun. He passed one to Paul, who had been so busy trying to pretend he wasn't hoping to get one that he was genuinely surprised when he did. But for me, I can't argue with the results. Company dropped me when cops arrested me for getting turned, of course, but I still had my truck and license. 
It's a lot easier to afford going independent when you got night vision or can sleep under the stars just fine. Now a haul cargo for wolves, or folks wolves know at least. Took a lot more cargo hauling than you'd think to get this place set up, I tell you what. Do you... Paul worried this would be a rude question, but it was long past the time to worry about those. Not have a pack? Well, yes and no, Whitman shrugged. I ain't the only wolf I know what spends all his time on the road. We stay in touch, look out for each other, get a meal together when we run into one another. Maybe that counts? But if you mean the kind where everyone lives together and everyone's always chasing each other in and out of everyone else's bed, no. His anxieties about the pack he'd arrived with blazed up in Paul's mind. He said nothing. Maybe someday, though. I'll admit I shared a motel room with a few wolves I know on the road. Would never considered a fella before. Assumed I was straight, I think it's called. But on this side, I don't seem to care what the wolf I'm holding is. Just who they are. I don't know. Maybe that's something I picked up with the wolf. Maybe that was always in me and the wolf woke it up. Maybe I just used to be too afeard. So maybe I'll change my mind and settle down. Already changed a powerful lot about myself long after I thought I was too old. Paul finished his bratwurst, said he understood and even meant it a little. The trucker startled as if he'd forgotten the younger wolf was there. So you grew up as a wolf? You were just always like this? Whitman blinked at him. Must have been nice never having to second guess who you are. Paul wasn't sure about that. Would someone who wasn't second-guessing who he was have to ask so many wolves so many questions? The thing is, explained the wolf behind a food truck named Eyes as Big as Plates, the binary between human and wolf is a social construct. They were dressed in a baggy black shirt under a red apron faded with remnants of uncountable stains lost to innumerable laundromats. They'd taken advantage of one of the folding picnic tables to set up a cutting board and were busily converting a pile of potatoes, apples, and beets into small, even cubes. Judging by the traces still to be smelled from the truck, these were destined for pierogies or maybe some kind of fried hand pie. I thought the social construct binary, Paul had, in fact, been paying attention, was between masculine and feminine? Well, yeah, that's one too. Maybe it doesn't work exactly the same way, but... They raised their hands, as if to brace themselves against invisible walls, lest they gather too much momentum and charge unstoppably into some other tangential explanation. Look at it like this. How far can you shift? Pretty far. I once won a medal because they couldn't tell I wasn't actually a sheepdog. Okay, but when you did that, you still weren't completely a wolf. You still had human thoughts in there, right? Paul acknowledged that, yeah, he couldn't have gotten away with it without bows. And in the other direction, you're never completely human. You always have your sense of smell, your instincts, right? Paul couldn't deny it. So you're never fully one or the other. Sometimes you're more one, sometimes you're more the other. They chopped a carrot emphatically. You shift between them. 
Why else would they call us shapeshifters? Who calls us shapeshifters? Humans, you know. They call us shapeshifters? The point is, a lot of us will talk about the wolf being your true self. They stopped short when they saw how Paul's ears had perked and tail wagged at that. Took a moment to hastily rephrase. And for those of us it works for, that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But like, I can't help but wonder. If you've got a human side and a wolf side, you can't help but always be some of both. And you live in a society that says that only the human side's acceptable then the rare times you get to let the wolf side out are going to be a relief, are going to feel like you can stop being fake and be real. So I don't know. I swept the last of the cubed potatoes into a bowl, slipped the paring knife and peeler into an apron pocket. How comfortable I am with this whole one big pack thing. You don't stop being the real you when you look like a human. At least I don't. If they think everyone living is just a wolf's going to solve all problems ever, well, they can try it, but I'm not holding my breath. They disappeared, with their bowl and cutting board, back into the truck. But when Paul later passed someone, fluffy, copper-colored fur, long, tufted tail, slender snout, he would have sworn was a were-fox? Perhaps some kind of were-dog? Neither human nor wolf, but here, nonetheless. He also couldn't help but wonder. So the problem with joining the pack you came with, the wolf, the nearly white fur, was intently focused on tuning the fiddle on her shoulder, but she'd been answering Paul's questions attentively all the while. Is there one big polycule, and you don't see a place for you in that? Paul needed the word polycule explained. Why not just say pack? But that sounded like a fair assessment. The nearly white wolf seemed to find that quietly humorous. Well, if you don't mind hearing it, I'm in a pack like that. Every one of them's sleeping with every other one. She nodded to the pack members as they came back with purchases from the booths or emerged from the RV. Jake and Mark sit with the guys, Gwen and Amy sit with the girls, and then Dee tends to sit with the ladies as a human and with the lads as a wolf. They're all together in one combination or another, I gave up trying to keep track long ago. Wait, though. You said every one of them? Asked Paul. Indeed I did, kid. Well caught. She gestured with the bow, checked the highest string again. I don't sleep with any of them. With anybody, for that matter. Haven't for years. Just don't feel the need for it. Oh, don't get me wrong. I don't dislike it. I just don't care to do it. Everyone else is a player, and I love the game, but you couldn't get me on the field if you tried. I don't think I understand, Paul said, because he didn't. The point, relative to your present predicament, you see, is that I don't need to throw my hat into the ring, so to speak, to be part of the pack. I'll cuddle when there's cuddling to be had, and other than that, I'm just happy that they're happy. Means my pack's on a solid foundation. Said Pack was settling around them. Anyway, she set bow to strings. Singing with folks a closer bond than anything you can do in bed. We gotta rehearse a bit there, said one of them, likely Jake, Mark, or D. You'll be welcome to join in if you want, man, added another, likely Gwen or Amy, though perhaps D couldn't be ruled out. The song was 
deceptively simple, but the lyrics were vague in a way that felt like they expected you to already know this story. Verses about nonspecific heartbreak, young lovers separated by poverty, a long train journey that seemed to be at least three-fourths metaphor, except for the parts where the whistle made me, whichever one of the people in the song me was, want to howl. All the nearly white wolf's pack clearly knew it by heart. Some of them were slipping into harmony just by force of habit. A wordless reiteration of the invitation flashed across the split-second eye contact between Paul and the violinist. And possibly it was an invitation to more than just the song. He would have been lying if he'd said he didn't feel the pull of it. The chorus around him hummed with the certainty that of the two kinds of intimacy this pack shared, the music was the closer, the more ecstatic. They moved into a second song without breaking stride, and now every wolf's eyes were on him, alert and puppyish, playful, daring him to join them. The verses on this one were obscure. Then a wolfish transformation through humanity shall run, and a transubstantiation that shall never be undone, sets the wolf within me howling to the hymn the pack's begun, an everlasting song. But the tune was familiar, and the words of the chorus were so easy that he'd already memorized them without even trying, mostly Alleluia forever, over and over. He might not know their harmonies, or the way some of them were howling rather than singing the hallelujahs. But it would be the easiest thing in the world to step into the place in the music they were leaving for him. Something made him hold back. It felt like the idea of joining Miles and Dan and Martin in the tent. Like not knowing if he would have it in him, if he could be who they expected him to be, if he could walk through the door held open in invitation. So he waited, through a few more songs, said he'd be sure to come listen when the bandstand was theirs tomorrow afternoon and turned to go. Half sure that if he'd had more courage he could have stayed, and more than half terrified that this had been his chance at the place he was supposed to belong, which he'd just missed. The other half of him was beginning to get very tired. You look lost, pup. Paul looked up. He'd wandered away from the tents and the booths, up into the foothills, to think. From here, he could have looked over the entirety of the great pack, as the evening settled, the campfires were lighted, and the strings of lights flickered on. But his head was too full. He couldn't fit any more vistas of lycanthropic solidarity, no matter how much the wolf he'd been three days ago in Nebraska would have given to see them. The wolf beside him wore dusty clothes, suspenders, and fur so dark black it looked some shade of purple, especially in the crimson light of sunset. Well... If he thought Paul looked lost, there wasn't much disagreeing with him, was there? I guess I feel lost, sir. You need a hand getting back to the pack you came with? The dark wolf asked. Oh, no, sir, not that kind of lost. Paul shook his head. I came here with high hopes. I wanted to find out what it was like to be a real werewolf, to have a place in a pack for real place I don't have to negotiate or defend, that nobody questions. The whole pack just takes it for granted that I belong there. But everything I learned, 
everyone I talk to. It's so much more complicated than I ever would have guessed, you know? You realize that's not usually something you care about when you're joining a pack, right? The other wolf asked. I've heard that one, yeah, Paul sighed. I don't know about the kind of place you mean, the dark wolf huffed. But if you want to talk about it somewhere more comfortable. He'd followed the dark wolf most of the way before Paul realized they were heading for that cabin he and Martin had seen when they first arrived. Wait, are you... Paul couldn't remember how to ask the question he wanted. Is this all... You? Are you... That's my house, if that's what you mean. And I've been planning to bring this whole thing together for a long time. The cabin porch was equipped with a small, rusty barbecue and a surprisingly comfortable bench swing. The dark wolf set an enamel camp kettle over the slumbering coals and kept Paul silent company until it was time to pour hot water into a pair of mugs. Paul sniffed his experimentally. Some kind of tea, he thought. So, the dark wolf flapped at his own steaming mug. You don't know if you have a place. Paul nodded. Every wolf I talk to has one, but all because of, like, answers to questions I never thought to ask. I don't know where I'd even start looking for mine. In my experience, the sunset for a moment was just the right angle to turn the steaming plumes from the dark wolf's mug a vivid and luminous crimson. It's not that the pack had a place ready for all these wolves. It's that all these wolves are the pack, and they make places for each other. Be who you are first, and when the pack can see what space to make for you, it will. Without even realizing they've done it, maybe the question you should be asking is, who do you want to be? I'm afraid all I got is part of a pack. All right, start there. The midnight-colored wolf scratched the bridge of his nose. Make the question, what kind of pack would you want to be part of? Does saying it like that work? I guess? Paul sounded uncertain even to himself. It'd be cool to be one of those drifter-lone wolves. Never stop traveling, hunt to eat, sleep under the stars, pass as a stray dog when I need to. Bet that sounds a lot more fun than it is, but it sounds fun enough that I'd want it anyway. Maybe have a different mate in different packs I travel between. Oh, that doesn't seem fair to them. Well, that'd be for them to decide, wouldn't it? The Dark Wolf commented. If they think you're being fair enough to them, seems rude to disagree. Would they think it was fair? How would I know? Have to ask them. Once you find them. Maybe I'd have one pack. Paul wasn't sure if that was reassuring, but he might as well carry on with the fantasy. That's home. Even if I don't see it often. Like the pack I came with. The tea was surprisingly sweet. But they're all gay. And you're not? And I don't even know, the young wolf whimpered. I've imagined things, but trying to just imagine a lady or imagine a man, I guess I should say whiff wolf or werewolf, that doesn't, I don't. 
he took another drink of tea. What I keep really imagining is that whoever it is, whatever they are, afterward they tell me something like, come on, we're together now. You're one of us. So, what you really lust after? The Dark Wolf leaned on his porch railing, setting sun at his back. Is belonging. You can't tell what place you want, because all you really want is having a place. Paul nodded slowly, mildly envious that he hadn't been able to put it into words like that. I think you've got the scent of it, the Dark Wolf continued. You just ain't sure if you can do what it takes to run it down. Paul growled miserably. How the hell do guys like Miles and Dan just know from the start? Well, the Dark Wolf collected Paul's empty mug, set both aside. I wager if you asked them, they'd say they didn't just know. They had to figure it out, too. Everybody does to one degree or another. Now, it sounds like you've been having yourself an exercise in empathy, and far be it for me to speak against empathy. But empathy ain't gonna tell you who you are, just who everyone else is. The only thing will do that is your own life. That sounded like it had been meant to be significant. Paul looked up. The other wolf was standing by the doorway, holding it open. The sunset blazed behind him and made his silhouette look like his shape had been cut out of the midnight sky. Except, by some kind of chance reflection, his eyes shone, almost the same color as the setting sun. Paul stepped closer, hesitantly. You mean I could? If you want to. Up to you. He followed the other wolf within. It took his eyes a moment to adjust to the darkness, but before they did, he felt the other wolf touch him on the cheek, pull him gently deeper into the room that existed only as smells. Boots by the door, coat hung on the rack, old and comfortable furniture, and years and years of wool, but underneath was incense and wood smoke and something warm and comforting on the stove, and still deeper underneath rain and trees and moss and infinite spaces to roam forever. His lips found his host's mouth, brushed gently, just the smallest taste. I can't promise, the other wolf whispered, his whiskers touched Paul's forehead in a way that somehow didn't tickle, that this'll give you any answers. I hope it'll show you how to do what you feel you need. But I do promise that, as far as I'm concerned. You're one of us. The cabin door swung gently closed. And for a little while, the great pack was only the two of them. Oh, there you are, pup, Dan said when Paul returned to their campfire. Oh, guess what? Remember we were talking about if we ought to say hello to the wolf who let them have this whole thing here? Here there, Sonny. An old shaggy wolf, coyote drab fur, in camo shorts, a faded neckerchief, and hefty cowboy boots, sat on the other side between Miles and Martin. Good to meet you. Hope you've been enjoying the great pack. 
Paul blinked. This is your land? Well, no. The wolf's coat was matted and his jowls sagged, but his tail wagged busily. Is here is either Cheyenne or Eastern Shoshone land, but the government thinks it's mine, and that's enough to get done what needs doing, I reckon. Uh, where? Paul glanced back, eyes scanned a line of hills against the turquoise lit post sunset sky. Do you live, sir? Respectful pup, ain't you? Old Wolf chuckled. I got me the trailer. She does me well enough. Uh, winter comes, I drive her down into Fort Collins. Stay there till spring, and I head back up here. The foothills above them, Paul confirmed, were empty. Of the cabin he'd seen on arrival, where he'd been initiated by the Dark Wolf's embrace, there was no sign. The old wolf didn't stay long. Got a lot of folks' smells to get to know. Y'all take care now, he said, and headed for the next campsite. Then it was just them. Stars above, fire below great pack all around. You okay, pup? Miles asked. You were gone for a while. Yeah, just asking some questions. Paul squared his shoulders, took a breath like a diver before the plunge. Working out some answers. Before he had time to think, he turned and kissed Dan, not hard, but very firmly. Once the startled, Miles, and wildly enthusiastic, Martin, reactions, not to mention both, Dan, were out of the way. Dan asked, Does that mean you're coming back with us? To join our pack? Yes and no, Paul hesitated. But the memory of a kiss in a cabin that was no longer there encouraged him. I'll come with you. Hell, I think I was always going to. No idea where else I'd go but I'm going to be away a lot. Traveling on my own. Maybe I've regular stops, packs that'll recognize me if I turn up out of the blue. I need to tell people. Wolves, wherever I can find them. Maybe even humans, if they're willing to be turned. Because I know which pack has a place for me, and it isn't yours. The young wolf waved a hand, absently, in a way that took in the valley, the campsites, the booths, the food trucks, the flags, the bandstand, the strings of light, the forest beyond, the last remnants of sunset above, and every variety of wolf to be found beneath it. It's this one. Well, pup, said Dan, as Martin took his turn embracing Paul, well, I told you there was a place in the pack for you. I didn't expect one like that. Yeah. Guess you gotta be careful looking for what you really want. Didn't expect to find it. But, Paul's tail wouldn't stop wagging. I owe you a bag of nacho cheese liver bites. And if the coming days would see to it that he followed these wolves home, found a welcome in their arms and beds, rode the hand-me-down motorcycle that had once borne miles from funeral procession to leadership on his own journeys, pack to pack, mate to mate, bearing a collar with tags in his own name in defiance of those whose tales perhaps conflated him with a predecessor, transubstantiated his life and love into the thread with which to sew packs together into a single, 
great pack. Well, that would be the coming days business. Tonight, Paul couldn't care less what the coming days intended. Tonight, he had found his place with his pack. Tonight, he was home. This was the second and final part of There's a Place in the Great Pack for You by Rob McQuill, read by the author. As always, you can find more stories on the web at thevoice.dog or find the show wherever you get your podcasts. Happy Pride, and thank you for listening to The Voice of Dog.